Welcome to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast with Jane Rogers, where we discuss science to help prevent cognitive decline. We keep hearing how diet is critical to the health of your brain and your body, but we haven't devoted an entire episode to what we should be eating. And today we do that. We dive deep with one of our regular guests, functional medicine doc, Dr. Lisa Broyles. She weaves tips from the founder of functional medicine, Dr. Mark Hyman's latest book, The Pagan Diet, with her own dietary advice. There are nuggets in this interview for even the person who thinks they are diet savvy already. So welcome back, Dr. Broyles. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you for inviting me back. (laughs) You're welcome. So tell me about this book you are very excited about. We know diet is super important as the foundation for our health and our cognitive health. But you got very excited about the pagan diet. I did. I think that there's lots of diets and there's lots of fads out there. And the Pagan diet is Dr. Mark Hyman's attempt to say, hey, this isn't a diet. This isn't a fad. This is some simple strategies that everybody can follow. And yes, we should personalize individually little little key points here and there. But there are just some basic, healthy, smart pointers that I think are absolutely critical. If you are trying to keep your brain healthy, you have got to feed it the right food. So thank you for taking the time today to really dive into this with me. Okay, so we got a lot to cover. Yes. So let's start with um, with just food. He he outlines seven principles to talk about when you come to food, and one is rainbow foods. Yes. So it's interesting that the color of your food can actually help you know what that food is going to do for your body. If you look at your plate and it's all white and yellow and gray, you probably shouldn't be eating anything on it. So you want to eat foods. The deeper the color of your food, the better it is for you. So he talks about how foods that are red are anti-inflammatory and they help your immune system. Foods that are blue improve your memory and your help with depression and anxiety. Things like plums and um, eggplants, blueberries. You think brain health when you see blue and purple. If it's green, it's going to help with circulation. If it's yellow, that food is probably going to help you with your gut. If it's orange, it helps with your hormone regulation. So it's amazing how the color of the food actually tells you what it's going to do for your body. That's incredible. Okay. So moving from the the brightly colored fruits and vegetables to whole grains. Yes. So this book blew my mind in the whole grains chapter, because when I think of whole grains, I think of a healthy bread with lots of seeds tucked into it. Mm -hmm. But he actually says whole grains are not anything made from flour. That was just kind of a lightning bolt moment for me of, oh, my gosh, whole grains actually mean the whole kernel. So when he talks about eating a small amount of healthy whole grains, he means whole kernel like brown rice, black rice, purple rice, which he calls the blueberry of the grains world. It's actually, they're chock full of phytonutrients and uh, antioxidants for your health. But you also should be eating things like quinoa, buckwheat, if you see that the theme here is the whole kernel. So you should really limit anything made from flour as much as possible because that's driving insulin resistance, elevated blood sugar, diabetes across the world. I know about white rice and brown rice. Purple rice was new to me. 
I know. It's delicious, too. It has a nuttier flavor. Purple rice and black rice, were for, they were called forbidden rice or the emperor's rice because they were for the nobility. I mean, this is the king of rice as far as nutrition goes. So I love to cook some chicken and have some black rice or purple rice with it. I just love the nutty flavor of it. Great. I'm on it. <laughs> so meat, smart choices. So meat can be good for you. There's been some new studies that discovered that meat actually has phytochemicals in it. We didn't know this. We knew that there was phytochemicals, which, by the way, are your cancer-fighting compounds that are in fruits and vegetables. We knew that they were in fruits and vegetables and whole grains. We didn't know that free-range meats actually have phytochemicals mm -hmm. in them. So studies have shown that if you eat a goat that has free-ranged in a pasture versus a cow that has been raised in a feedlot, that your, your meat is chock full of phytonutrients like quercetin. And right now with COVID, everybody's heard the word quercetin because it's an incredible herbal anti-inflammatory, antihistamine. So quercetin super good for you. And it's in the meat from free-range goats. So meat can be nutritious if you source it correctly. You're trying to get it from animals that have not been raised in feedlots where they're fed junk like candy and genetically modified corn full of Roundup. You have to realize that you are not only what you eat, but you are what your food ate. So if that burger that you're eating was from a feedlot and that cow was stuck in that pasture and never allowed to graze on real grass, then it's going to be chock full of the wrong kind of fats and it's not going to have any of the nutritious vitamins and minerals that your body needs to absorb. The other thing with meat is all about how you cook it. You should cook meat at low temperatures. So it's better to bake, to roast, to poach than it is to fry and to grill. The other thing is cook your meat with things like red wine, olive oil, herbs, and spices. Studies have shown that when you cook meat with these other phytonutrients, you're actually decreasing the oxidative stress on your body from consuming that meat. It also tastes better when you have grass-fed. Absolutely, I think so. You can really tell. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. the, the healthy quality of the fat from a free-range animal, first of all, there is less of the fat, but that fat has more omega-3s and less omega-6s, which is what your brain and your hormones need to be healthy. So, poultry, eggs. Yes. Okay. It's confusing because you've got free range and you've got... Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a minute. I am a chicken farmer myself. I have all kinds of chickens and I love my chickens. And I have to say, when I see in the grocery store that there, the little carton says vegetarian fed hens, it breaks my heart for those little chickens because chickens love bugs and they love worms. And if those chickens are free range, they should go around pecking up little bugs in the soil and the best way to control ticks and spiders in your yard is to have chickens. So if a chicken has been vegetarian fed, that means that is not a free range chicken and it was primarily fed junk like corn. So stay away from any egg cartons that say vegetarian fed hens. You should be looking for free range hens that are allowed to go around and graze and eat all that. My chickens, when they see me, they come running and they always expect a handout. And not only do I give them my leftover kitchen scraps, but I give them a, a multi-mix of healthy kinds of seeds and I let them free range all over my yard, which does result in chicken poop in places where you don't want it, but it's worth it when I eat those eggs. So the, the same thing is true for the chicken itself and the meat from that chicken. Um, chickens that are fed just grain in in the chicken feedlots, if you will, those big 
cages, that they never see the light of day, that meat is much higher in arsenic. And it's because they are fed arsenic in their food. And the problem with that is we think, oh, well, that's a safe form of arsenic that we're giving the chicken, but the chicken's body converts it to an inflammatory, bad for us kind of arsenic when it comes to human consumption. You know, I must say, as an aside, your eggs are the best I've ever had. They just jump off my plate. They are so fresh. It's just... No, my my husband eats probably about six of them every day, and he has the best HDL cholesterol that I have ever seen in a man. And I think it's because the uh, yolk for our free-range eggs is so rich in the right kind of fats. Mm -hmm. He's getting the good stuff. Speaking of fats, yes, fats are important. Fats are important. Did you know that our brain is primarily made of fat? So fats have been vilified for so long, and it's really about choosing the right kind of fat. So our hormones are made of fat. Our cell lining called the lipid coating is made of fat. The way that all the cells in your body communicate and talk to each other is when these little fat membranes communicate and talk to each other. So your body is going to incorporate whatever fats you're consuming into that lipid coating. It's going to coat your neurons in your brain. It's going to make your hormones out of it. So you want to choose the right kinds of fats. And what I mean by that is olives, um, olive oil, coconuts, avocados, nuts. These are healthy fats. And Animal fat in a free-range animal is also safe. I will say one caveat, if you have a gene called the APOE4 gene, which I know we've discussed in some of our podcasts, but this is an important gene that if you have the APOE4, it increases your risk not only of Alzheimer's but of inflammation. People with APOE4 gene in general don't do well with much saturated fat. So they should follow less saturated fat in their diet than those that don't have the APOE4 gene. If you don't know if you have it, talk to a functional medicine doctor, talk to me, we can get you tested and find out. But it's not that you can't have saturated fat if you have the APOE4, you just need to use smart choices for it and eat less of it. So that involves dairy too. Yeah. Someone with the APOE4, like I have, I shouldn't be eating full fat dairy. Whole milk. Right. So dairy. Yogurt that's full fat. Healthy dairy would be from sheep. So cheese made from sheep is okay. Um, Goat Mm -hmm. cheese is also good for us as well. Um, We have most of our American cows produce a casein called A1, which unfortunately is pro-inflammatory, worsens acne, worsens allergies, not as digestible. Whereas A2 cows have... Uh, have more of the low inflammation, uh, good for you, if you will, casein. So, of course, if you're lactose intolerant, it doesn't really matter what kind of A1 or A2 milk you're drinking. You shouldn't be drinking it. However, if you're not lactose intolerant, again, if you drink small amounts of A2 or instead of butter, you use ghee, um, which has had the lactose cooked out of it, or you're using goat or sheep, those are all better, safer choices of dairy. The calcium in dairy, I know that the mass marketing says milk does a body good, but the truth is that the calcium that your bones are made of is primarily calcium hydroxyapatite, and you get that mostly from kale and cabbage and sesame seeds and sardines and chia seeds. You can absorb the calcium from these foods much better than you can from cow's milk. Very important, especially for women. So pros and cons of being vegan or vegetarian. So I think this is important. That's a big one. 
You know, I have some friends that are vegan, and I tried going vegan in college, and I found after eight months, I was severely anemic. And unfortunately, if you are a vegan, you are going to run the risk of being deficient in zinc and iodine and vitamin D and B12. Did I mention iron? Um, so you may have to take a supplement mm -hmm. for some of these minerals and nutrients that you're lacking in your diet. But the other important thing, if you are a vegan, is make sure you are getting protein, especially for muscle building. You really need protein. So safe sources for a vegan would be pumpkin or pea or hemp protein and making protein shakes. But you do have to make an extra effort to get enough of the right form of protein. Uh, a lot of vegans tend to eat a lot of carbohydrates. They eat a ton of bread because that's convenient. Breads, crackers, cereals, which are all just driving up their insulin levels. And it actually is making more of the vegans pre-diabetic and even diabetic because they're not eating enough of the vegetables and they're eating too many carbs. So it is possible to be a vegan and do it in a way that's healthy for you, but you do have to push the protein and you may have to supplement some of those minerals. So let's switch to another part of the book. Yes. And that's behavior. Okay. So there are 10 different things that I know you'd like to talk about when it comes to behavior yes. and food. The first one is the 75% rule. What is that? So Dr. Hyman's 75% rule is that when you look at your plate, he tries to incorporate three vegetables with each meal, if possible. Your meat should be your side dish, not the star of the show. And when he says 75%, he means that of the vegetables on your plate, 75% of those vegetables should be non-starchy. So starchy vegetables are most of what Americans think of when they think of a vegetable, which is potatoes and corn, right? Uh, and some squashes. But unfortunately, mm -hmm. those starchy ones too can drive up insulin levels and increase your risk of diabetes. So ideally, you should be having 75% of your vegetables being your leafy greens, your carrots, your non-starchy vegetables, your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts. And what is eat regeneration? So Dr. Hyman had some really interesting talks in his book about regenerative farming, regenerative ecosystems. So he's talking about how we're all worried about greenhouse gases, right, and carbon dioxide emissions. But the truth mm -hmm. is feedlots, produce some all the fertilizer that goes into the way that we're currently farming and and the, these huge feedlots of animals they're producing tons and tons of junk fertilizer which is then ruining the soil around them and running off into our rivers and streams and killing our fish and our shellfish that are important so he's saying that the nitrous oxide that is produced from poor farming practices actually has a much higher content of greenhouse gases than carbon dioxide. So he's saying reward the farmers that are farming responsibly. And you know, when they prearrange their animals, they use the manure from those animals in their own farm. So I have kind of a mini version mm -hmm. of this here at my house. I try to homestead and I have a llama and goats. And that llama poop, I call them llama berries. I just spent this past weekend, I've got blisters on my hands because I was scooping up mound after mound of llama poop. And then I took it and I sprinkled it all over my garden and my husband tilled it into the soil. But then I also take the llama berries and I sprinkle them all around the bases of my fruit trees and even my flowers. My hydrangeas just love them. So then in the spring, all those little berries are you know, slowly 
absorbing into the soil. And I've been able to use my compost responsibly. Every time I see my llama out there producing more berries, I just get so excited because like every, every probably four <laughs> months I can run out and grab it and use it to fertilize my garden and my vegetables. And I just love spring here because my flowers are so happy. So if you can reuse it, everything that we don't use in our kitchen is either eaten by my pig or my goats or my chickens. So you can responsibly reuse and recycle. And if we did that on a macro level, we would reduce the amount of greenhouse gases as a planet. You are inspiring me. I want a llama <laughs> and chickens. Well, they, they do spit, so beware. I have to make sure I don't look her in the eye when I feed her or I get a face full oh, yeah. of very nasty-tasting goo. You don't bite the hand that feeds you, and she spits the hand that feeds you. That's not good. And she doesn't <laughs> like men, so there you go. Really? Yeah. Okay. So Dr. Hyman does not like sugar. What are what are his reasonings? So he talked a little bit about high fructose corn syrup, which is chemi- it's a chemical. It's artificially made. And you should always check your labels for high fructose corn syrup. It is the number one reason why children are developing fatty liver. It's absolutely terrible. It increases fatty liver in, Amer- in adults as well. But high fructose corn syrup is extremely addictive. It makes your brain crave it. And all soda products, you know, no matter what it is, Pepsi, Coke, what, pick your poison, all of these soda products have high fructose corn syrup, even a lot of breads on the shelves, ice cream. So check your labels, make sure there is no high fructose corn syrup, but even other alternatives, uh, you know, sugar, white sugar is still bad for you. It drives up your blood sugar and then it makes it crash and then you get lightheaded and grumpy and then you reach for more sugar to try to get your energy back up and it leaves you on an emotional and a physical roller coaster plus it drives obesity which here in america with our sad american diet we are addicted to sugar if you can start Mm -hmm. your children off young and not giving them a lot of sugar hopefully they will not have as much of a craving for it when they're older i get so many adults that come to me and they say i absolutely crave sugar i want to eat right but when it comes to that late night ice cream i just can't get away from it and so i would encourage them to try something like a handful of blueberries instead of reaching for the ice cream, okay? Because your blueberries mm-hmm. are going to lower your cortisol levels while you're sleeping um, and uh, hopefully get your mood better because they're blue. You know, I've found with sugar, I, I've been addicted to sugar too. And I find though, after I've gone off of it for a number of days, like four or five days, my craving starts to diminish. And, and then after two weeks, I don't crave it anymore at all which is, I didn't think it was possible. Yes. Any habit can change and cravings will change after two weeks. That's true for any craving, whether it's nicotine or sugar or alcohol, two weeks without it and your brain resets. And then, and you'll find that foods that didn't taste sweet or even tasted bitter to you before now taste sweet. My husband the other night Mm -hmm. made this delicious kohlrabi recipe and I had no idea that kohlrabi could actually be sweet. And that's a vegetable, kind of like broccoli. It was absolutely delicious, but you have to get away from sugar and unfortunately bread converts to sugar so Mm -hmm. you end up even if you say well i don't like cake but i'll I'll eat this bagel it's really the same thing because that bagel is converting to sugar in your body we're talking about things that we shouldn't have and chocolate yes caffeine 
in caffeine is in chocolate that I'm so crazy about chocolate. But this this is not good, is it? Again, the form of chocolate is important here. So if you're eating a dark chocolate that's around 80% or higher, it is. there is actually mm-hmm. some nutritional value in that chocolate. It has magnesium and it has iron. So for women, that can be important. So I, I do have some very dark chocolate that once a month I happen to crave and we'll have a little square of it. Uh, it's all about how much chocolate and how often you eat it and what form. So just good old milk chocolate has way too much sugar and milk and you should really ideally avoid that. And, you know, we're trying to be realists here at the same time. These you know, sugar and alcohol and caffeine, you could call them crutches even for our mood. A lot of us come home from work and we crave something to help us unwind. And I would encourage you to reach for uh, make some green tea, which is going to help your body fight cancer. And if you're a cancer survivor, it improves your body's ability to fight off cancer cells and decreases your risk of your cancer coming back. So it's all about choosing the right choices. One cup of caffeine isn't going to hurt you. Three cups of caffeine is going to stress your adrenal glands, increase your cortisol production, make your heart jittery, increase your risk of heart arrhythmias. Not to mention the effects on the bowels. So uh, it's all about moderation. Good advice. So we we all know about different diets. There are so many of them out there. But what Dr. Hyman is saying is that you really need to custom fit the diet for you. Everybody's body's different. He stresses these basic principles that are wise for most of us to follow, but he encourages you to find a functional medicine practitioner that will actually do genetic testing and nutritional testing to see, hey, what are your personal nutritional deficiencies that we can shore up and what foods can we recommend? There's tons of saliva tests out there. I use one called Nutrition Genome for my patients where they are sent a saliva kit, and that takes about a month to come back. But when it does, it gives us all the genetic information for that individual that says, hey, according to your genes, you should avoid, say, beef or or milk, but you should eat, and it actually lists specific foods that genetically are good for you, salmon or sweet potatoes. It, It individualizes it for you according to your genetic makeup. I have had so many patients that come to me and say, doc, what diet should I be on? And some patients absolutely thrive on a vegetarian diet and others on a carnivore diet. And so you can't say one size fits all when it comes to diet. I highly, highly recommend personalized nutrition through a functional medicine trained practitioner. Mm-hmm. Very smart. Um, detoxification. This is also a big topic. It really is. And there's lots of ways to detox. My family does a two-week liver cleanse, and I involve my children, and they moan and groan, but they kind of like it at the same time. And um, your liver is your most important detox organ. So Dr. Hyman just briefly touches on making sure that you have some strategies. Not only should you once or twice a year be doing something like a liver cleanse, gallbladder cleanse, colon hydrotherapy, but you should also just on a day-to-day diet, try to do things that improve your body's ability to detox. For example, since your liver is your primary detox organ, every day that you drink alcohol or you take Tylenol, your liver cannot detox. It's the same thing as if you took the trash out of your trash can, tied the baggie up, and stuck it right next to your trash can instead of taking it outside. Well, it's going to start to stink, right? And it's still in your body. So Mm -hmm. your liver just freezes when it comes to its ability to detox. So my personal rule is no more alcohol than a drink two days a week. And that gives my body five days of the week to detox, to get rid of any accidental plastics or chemicals that I might have inhaled or applied or ingested through my foods. 
if you have chronic pain and you're taking Tylenol every single day, again, you are inhibiting your body's ability to detox. The other important thing is to eat within a window. So especially if you have prediabetes, insulin resistance or diabetes, you really should stick to eating between a like eight to 10 hour window of the day. So you eat an early dinner, say by 6 p.m. and then you don't eat breakfast until around 8 a.m. the next morning. That's like 14, even better, 10 a.m. That gives you 16 hours where there is no food coming in that also helps something called the migrating motor complex, the MMC, which in your gut helps peristalsis. It helps food move through. It helps bacteria move through, decreases the risk of you developing irritable bowel when your gut has that chance to rest and kind of flush at night. So that's another strategy for detox. There's, there's lots of others. There's lots of cleanses on the market, but some general rule of thumb for eating organic and free range is also going to help you because there's going to be less that you'll need to detox when the time comes. When we talk about eating organic, eating free range, um, I think a lot of people, including myself, think, oh boy, this is going to be expensive. You know, can I handle this? Can my budget handle it? But Dr. Hyman has some cheap tips to give us that we can save money. You know, he does. I hear that from a lot of people. Well, I can't afford to eat organic. And while it's true that eating everything organic can get expensive, there are certain foods that it's important. You can Google the top dirty dozen foods that you really should eat organic, like apples. My daughter eats like five apples a day. So I really have to make sure that that kid gets organic apples. And she loves Honeycrisp. So God forbid if there's no Honeycrisp apples in the grocery store that aren't organic, because that's you know what I have to for her, but yes, you really need to make sure that you are choosing uh, organic products, but you have to think in advance. And so if you don't plan, then you're going to fail. You have to plan ahead, sit down the weekend before and make a menu of, hey, these are the foods that I want to fix. Therefore, this is what I'm going to shop for. The worst is when you're really hungry, you're just going to reach for the closest thing. And that's usually something like a frozen pizza or a box of macaroni and cheese. When really, if you had planned ahead, prepare some meals on the weekend that then you can use as leftovers through the week. Freeze some portions if you want to. So I think the trick to eating healthy, go to places like Aldi and Lidl. There's grocery stores that are discount grocery stores that still offer healthy food at a discount. So you may have to go a little bit further to, to find it. You may have to plan in advance, but it is possible to do it cheaply. You can also join a CSA, a, a local community agriculture program or a farm. I do a cow share where you go in with a, another family or two and you purchase a cow or a pig. So that, and make sure you have a deep freezer. And get your family involved. This is not something that just falls on the parents. I guess it has to be one of my pet peeves. You really need to make your children eat what you eat. And hopefully what you're eating is healthy, but don't give in to just letting your children snack on cereal and, you know, popcorn and, and junk food because that's going to start a poor microbiome for that child. That's going to affect their attention and their mood and their future gut health and their future allergies. So when it, the best thing to do is when your child is an infant, try to prepare your own baby foods. I did this with child number two, uh, where I bought organic non-GMO silk and tofu, and I blended that in with frozen organic vegetables like peas, green beans. Uh, introduce all of the vegetables to your baby before you ever let them try anything sweet. Make sure that they have got a taste for those vegetables before you go to the sweet stuff, and that's a really good start. 
but our children are fed the same thing as we are. And then those children will start to enjoy it and include your children. Offer to cook with them. Get them a chef hat, a personalized apron, and make cooking fun for them. And they will grow to love shopping for food and cooking healthy foods with you. And that leads right into cooking. I like to eat out, but I find I don't eat out very much because I I don't trust exactly what I'm getting. I don't know where the food is sourced. And I want to cook it at home and trust that it's okay. Yes. Unfortunately, it really is important. I'm, I don't really enjoy cooking for the sake of cooking. If, if we're going to be honest here, I do enjoy eating tasty food. I want it to be healthy for me, but I also don't want to spend hours and hours in the kitchen. And I know a lot of us are busy and work and don't have that kind of time too. And there are uh, companies that offer nutritious food already kind of prepared like Blue Apron that you can subscribe to where the healthy food comes to your home and you can cook it. Um, a little bit, little bit easier, a little more streamlined. Um, I actually just got a pre-prepared meal that I found at the grocery store the other day that I tried out on my children last night and my husband and I checked all the ingredients and it all looked good and everybody agreed it was great. It took me 10 minutes. So it is possible to eat healthy and do it in a short amount of time, but cooking in advance is good. I love my crock pot. I, you know, if you can put something in at 10 or 11, we've started doing braised dishes where we are putting a meat in at like two or three in the afternoon and you just stick it in the oven and then you go pick up your kids from school and you do homework. Your meat dish with your vegetables is just cooking away. I've got some wonderful uh, African tagine recipes that I've been able to do. So braising is a great way to put it in in advance. And a few hours later, you have a d- delicious, nutritious meal for your family. Do you do an Instant Pot? I do. And I love it. It's just quick. I bought one for my mom, and I kept meaning to buy myself one, so I have heard good things about them. You can borrow mine. Check it out. I I really like it because I don't like to spend a ton of time in the kitchen either. So this becomes, this is not just a fad diet at all. This is something that becomes your lifestyle. You have to think about these principles. When you go to the grocery store, you know, I, there's the one theme of trying to avoid the inner aisles in general as a good rule of thumb for the grocery store. You stick to the outside, although the outside of our grocery stores has all the ice cream. So not entirely true, but it does have to be just a general lifestyle and a way of thought. This is not a fad diet. In order to sustain it, you need to start young, eating healthy, preparing your children eating healthy so that someday when they are older, they have healthy habits, healthy guts, and then they can promote those healthy lifestyles for their children and those around them. So let's switch to the final segment of this and and look at food as your medicine. The most amazing thing is even back in the day, Hippocrates said, let food be thy medicine. They were right. And functional medicine is rediscovering how what we eat actually determines our genetic expression. So I think of the, your, you have these proteins that make your body make DNA that's going to tell it to either get inflamed or be anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer. And I think of it like a railroad track. And there's the train chugging down that track and you come to a signal where you got to pull that lever and that train is going to go to the right or the left. Well, there's these signal proteins in your body that depending on what you're eating, that protein is going to make that train go to the right or to the left. And if the right is pro-inflammation, you're increasing your risk of cancer, autoimmune disease and Alzheimer's. But if that lever is switched to the left-hand track, then you've got longevity and you've got health and a great gut. And it's all about what you're eating, the environment that you're in, 
in changing your genetic expression. We never realized this whole field of epigenetics of how our environment, how what we're eating affects us at a genetic, at a molecular level. So you have to think of food as either a medicine or a poison. And I think if you learn to eat this way, you're going to find that you can get off of some of the medicines and start using food as your medicine. I was just talking to a neighbor yesterday out on the street, and, and he said, you know, I've, I've dropped two of my diabetes medicines because now I'm eating almost all vegetables. I eat some meat, but mostly vegetables. He completely changed his diet and lifestyle, and he was so excited, and he even looked, I thought, a lot better. Yeah, he felt better. I'm sure he had more energy, sleeping better, all of the above. It's worth it. So talk about your body as a colony. I really love this topic. So I scuba dive, and I absolutely love a really healthy coral reef, which unfortunately are getting fewer and harder to find these days. But you can't think of yourself as an individual. You are a colony. You have to think of yourself more like a coral reef. So your body is made of bacteria on your skin that affects whether you're going to have rosacea or acne. Your body is made of bacteria in your gut, and that bacteria is going to do good things for you, like help your body to harness calcium and put it into your bones, help you to make uh, to have a healthy immune system. So the, the you have to have good flora and the right flora in the gut, on the skin, for everything to work correctly. So your body, it, it's all one part, but you are a host to many, many millions of bacteria, and you can choose which kind of bacteria are in there. Case in point, Dr. Hyman talks about this one bacteria that should be in everyone's gut called acromantia. Acromantia helps you to make mucus in your gut that lines the intestines and helps you not get holes called leaky gut. Okay, it helps your gut be healthy and you can increase your acromantia in your colony by eating things like cranberries and pomegranates. Okay, your, your things that are called polyphenols, uh, green tea, taking green tea capsules or drinking green tea daily. These will increase the food, which is called the prebiotics, that feed the good bacteria that we want, like the acromantia. And you were telling me you really, you love tea. I know you love tea, but you've really increased your green tea consumption. I have, and I have to say, I don't really love the flavor of green tea, but there's a lot of green teas that you can get that have pomegranate or a little bit of mint. Sometimes I'll mix my loose leaf teas to give myself a little bit of Uh, an herbal, I I really love the herbal, more chamomile stuff, but I have started drinking the green tea and I'm starting to develop a taste for it. Again, changing habits. Um, And if you really just don't like the taste of tea, then you can buy green tea capsules. So one cup of green tea would equal three green tea capsules. So if you're, for instance, a breast cancer survivor, then ideally you want to try to drink about three cups of green tea a day, which really equals about nine capsules of green tea, which is kind of a lot. So maybe you could mix and match it a little bit. But uh, we I'm blessed to have a wonderful tea store in our little small town that has loose leaf teas. And I just go and I smell and I pick and I choose and I blend. And I absolutely love my herbal teas, my green teas. She even has one that's called an endurance tea that I use before, uh, before and after my athletic events to help my adrenal glands recover that's full of ashwagandha and eleuthero and chisandra berry and just really good for you. You've really inspired me because I always thought I didn't have time to sit and drink a cup of tea. But I got, thanks to you, I got one of those tea warmers. Excellent. So I always have this hot little cup right next to me. and I'm drinking so much more tea. 
Wonderful. I took some with me when I'm going on a hike. I'll put it in a a mug, and instead of hot chocolate, I've been trying to switch us over to how about we bring some green tea out on the trail and have some tea. Although I do bring some hot chocolate for my children every once in a while. Um, talk to me about the fountain of youth. Right, Dr. Hyman mentions this, and I think it's so true. Just as a society, we have this desire to try to find immortality. You know, this fear of dying, of of wanting to preserve our longevity. And really, you have to think of the fountain of life being what you are putting in your mouth. You are the fountain of life. What you are eating is your fountain, and you're choosing whether you're going to drink from the sewer or whether you are going to drink from the fountain of life by what you're eating, what you are drinking, what you are consuming determines your own personal fountain of life. And tell me about how food, we've touched on this before, but how it can really change your mood. So psychiatric disease is rampant right now, especially with COVID. We've seen a huge rise in suicide and depression and anxiety. And so much of it, people are packing on the pounds because they didn't go out and exercise. The gyms were closed. Even national parks were closed for a time. Uh, Unfortunately, anxiety and depression are... People go to their doctor and they're just given an SSRI, a serotonin um, selective reuptake inhibitor like Prozac or Paxil, which we don't even really understand how they work, by the way. But the truth is that those can unfavorably make your gut less healthy. They can kill some of the good bacteria that you really want. You can change your mood according to what you eat. So instead of reaching for a bowl of ice cream at night, like I said earlier, reach for a bowl of blueberries, eat some plums, eat some eggplant. You want to eat healthy to improve your brain health and your cognition. There's a a preservative in foods called calcium propionate, which has been linked to autism and attention deficit. And it is in most of our cereals and a lot of our grains. So once again, when you're eating things that are chock full of preservatives and words that you don't know what they mean, good chance are that they're actually bad for your brain and bad for your mood. And so I think the last thing you wanted to talk about was just give us a pep talk that we need to start today. This is something we can all do. Yes. And this is something that all of us can do at any time. But I do have to say, if you get a hold of these concepts when you are young and when your children are young, you can make a much better, long-lasting difference for yourself and for your, your friends, your family. You know, hang out with people that also like to eat healthy and have a dinner party where you all actually all bring healthy foods and enjoy the way they taste together. So you can have a, a fun, healthy dinner party and still make it taste good and be healthy. It's challenging sometimes, but it's totally possible. You can have a large variety of different vegetable dishes that taste incredible. And yes, you can have a meat that you have have roasted properly, that you've prepared with your herbs and spices that absolutely melts everybody's mouth, but it's paired with the right vegetables. It's cooked appropriately. So Excellent. Dr. Broyles, thank you. Thank you so much. It's just such a joy to to listen to you and hear your words. Thank you. You take care of yourself. You've been listening to the Cutting Edge Health Podcast, created and hosted by Jane Rogers. The website is cuttingedgehealth.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and would very much appreciate your writing a review. They help a lot, and we read each one. Any information shared on this podcast is for educational purposes only. Guest opinions are their own. 
This podcast is not responsible for the veracity of their statements. The comments expressed are not medical advice. Do not use any of this information without first talking to your doctor. This podcast and Jane Rogers disclaim responsibility for any adverse effects from the use of any information presented. Thank you for listening and have a beautiful day.